Welcome to the Dayspring Community Church Podcast. Check out our website at dayspringonline.org. And now, Dr. Matt Friedemann. Amen. If you turn in that Bible to Psalm 63, 63rd Psalm, this is a Psalm of David. I uh, just want to give you a, a little context. I think context helps us when we read it to know exactly what we're reading and, and where these words were, were placed at the time. Psalm 61 and 64, four Psalms together that are linked together by the common theme of a strong reliance upon God in need of, of course, we need deliverance, so we cry out to God for deliverance, but it's in the face of threat, and sometimes mortal threat. So this is serious stuff. If the tradition is correct here, the reference would be back in 2 Samuel 14 and following. Uh, This is his son Absalom that has risen up and basically committed insurrection against David and his kingdom. And all of a sudden now we have Absalom in Jerusalem. David has fled Jerusalem, and he is now in a wilderness. And out of this wilderness experience comes this psalm. Now I want you to notice, if you will, down there, uh, verses 9 to the bottom of the chapter, talks about the enemies. Uh, That is interesting, but how do we deal with enemies? And that's what the first eight verses are about. That's a different way of dealing with enemies. If it's me, I'm saying, let's get us some guns, let's get us some knives, let's go to fight. David says, I thirst for God. I long for him. I want more of him. Kind of an interesting frame here. So if you'd please stand in reverence to the word of God, and let's go ahead and read Psalm 63. Thank you, dear. Oh, God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in this sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night, watch, because you have been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek my life to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for the jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall glory. But the mouths of those who speak lies shall be stopped. Dear Lord God, we thank you, Lord God, for the presence of your Holy Spirit today. We thank you, Lord, for your word, and we thank you for the teaching of the word. Oh, Lord God, give our pastor clarity of thought and word as he uh, ministers unto the people, Lord God. And we just thank and praise you for your faithfulness and your awesomeness, Lord God. You are mighty in every way, Lord. We thank and praise you right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Seated. Thank you. They say that something like 70 
to 75% of the body is water. And so therefore, we kind of need water. They say you get rid of about, I don't know, two-thirds of a gallon or so every day. You actually have water leave your body. Now, it might be in the form of waste. It might be in the form of breathing. You know, every time you breathe, a little water leaves. And again, it might be in, in, in something like perspiring. Last night, I was on a run, and uh, I uh, have kind of taken a month or two off of running, so I need to get back into it. It's never easy getting back into it. And boy, when I get back into it, when I'm not used to it, do I ever sweat. I'm just putting forth a lot of energy just to keep going, let alone make a good time, and I never make good times. So as I'm, I'm going along, uh, I recognize that, boy, water is leaving my body. It's perspiring out. It's sweating out. And I, I was right outside my house. I usually walk in, and frankly, I walk a half mile or a mile after I'm done running. So I'm walking in, and uh, I'm thinking, man, I can't wait to get to that water faucet. I can already see the water faucet. I can already see the cup going under the water faucet. I'm already seeing me gurgle down some serious water. I need it. I feel it. I need it. When all of a sudden, a friend of mine, <laughs> he's in a car. He says, hey, Matt. He introduces himself. I say, hey, what are you doing in this area? And he's got a little business in that area. And so we're talking, but all I can think about is we need to wrap this conversation up. I mean, I love my friend, but at that moment, I'm thinking I love water even more. So, yeah, 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 good. Hey, love you, love you, see you. All I can think about was get out of here. We got to go drink. You ever been that thirsty before? We gotta go. Now, there is, a, there is another condition that I think is interesting. I was looking this up, and there is something called adipsia, which is a disorder where the thirst center of the brain is actually damaged. So, therefore, you can be dehydrated, but have no sensation of thirst. Now, that's a dangerous deal because you can say, I really need water, but you're going to have to say it to yourself and you're going to have to force yourself to drink water because you don't feel like you need water. And you can imagine, you can't have a dipsy very long where you're not going to be in some serious trouble if you don't take remedy. And so I'm thinking here, I was thinking last night, is it possible that someone could have spiritual adipsia? where you are dehydrated of the Lord. You're dehydrated of the will of the Lord. You're dehydrated. You have breathed out. You have wasted away. You have perspired out so much that you have need, but somehow the spiritual center of your brain is damaged and you're not feeling, I need him. And I'm going to tell you, I bet we've all been there before. I bet we've all in our lifetime said, I need him, but really, I'm not feeling it right now. And so you've almost got to force yourself to take action because you're simply not thirsty. So the spiritual dipsy, I think, is, is pretty serious stuff. I, I appreciate in here uh, verse 6. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. That word meditate is basically this. It's reflecting deeply on a subject. So you got a spiritual subject, and you just want to say, I want to go deeper with that in my thought life, and I want to go deeper in it. And I have been telling uh, my discipleship groups for the last several weeks, I want to get better at this meditation thing. I don't want to go down on my, uh, you know, lotus position and, and put my fingers up and start humming. That's not, that's not what I want to do. I want to think deeply about him. I want to be, think deeply about the topics of the kingdom and really with my thought life go deeper. So it's not just a matter of I want good quiet times. I want good quiet times. 
but I'd like this to take place when I'm going down the road. So is it possible I could meditate even as I'm in my car? So I've, I tried to do it this week. Let me tell you about a couple instances. I was in my car, and I said, okay, Matt, now's the time. Look around and see what you see, and let Jesus take you deeper in spiritual thought. So I said, well, I wouldn't see anything. I know exactly where I was. Probably what I should have been seeing is the potholes in front of my tires. But, you know, you, you can get lost in spiritual themes, and all of a sudden go wah, wah, and next thing you know, you're, you're paying somebody uh, several hundred dollars to fix your front end of your car. But... I wasn't thinking about that. I was looking and said, Lord, what do you had to show me? And I noticed the trees on the side of the road. Have you noticed them lately? I mean, that which was barren a couple weeks ago is now full of life. It's green, uh, actually pink. It's beautiful. It's red. I mean, there's just all kinds of colors that are coming out. And so the thing that came to my mind at that point was blossom. And I asked this question as I'm headed down the road and I'm just going to my house. House is literally seven, eight minutes away. I just said, Jesus what new things are blossoming in my life? What things do you want to blossom in my life that aren't blossoming yet? I just start thinking about blossoming and the new growth he wants to take place in Matt Friedemann. The other thing I, I, I said down the road another day, and uh, I don't know about in your part of the, uh, of the world, but, you know, Phil Bryant, the governor, has signed off on a thing that says we need to shut down these bridges these bridges are dangerous until they get fixed. We can't have anybody going over them. Well, I thought my bridge was just fine until he said we couldn't go over it. And now all of a sudden we've got to go around, right? And so every time I go home, I start, start seeing bright colored signs that say, dude, hang this way because you're not going forward. And so I started seeing these brightly colored signs. And I started saying, Jesus, what do you have to teach me through this? And I started thinking, what are the bright colors of Scripture trying to get my attention? And the first one that came to my mind wasn't a color at all. I'm calling it a color, but it's not a color. It's, it's, it's a brilliance. That one of the definitions in the Old Testament of holy is brilliant and bright. So, Jesus, that's not even a color, but I like it. Thanks for bringing it to my mind. I need to think of brilliance, holy brilliance, holy brightness all day long. Jesus, take me deeper in your brilliance. And then I started noticing some other colors, green, I already mentioned, but sometimes signs are green. Sometimes signs are red. I thought, oh, Jesus, the red one's easy. You are trying to show me the impact of the blood of Jesus Christ on my daily walk. Jesus, what is it? What is that blood and the impact of that blood on my life today? How does it get me acting differently? You see what I was doing? I was just going deeper into thought on spiritual things of things I was just seeing. And so I, th I just think, Lord, take me deeper in you by meditation. Now, this is what I'm thinking. David's out there in the wilderness, and he's looking back at Jerusalem thinking, that's where I ought to be, and that's where I was until my son, Absalom, good-looking guy. I mean, they call the most handsome man in all Israel. Good-looking son of mine. Boy, he's got a great personality, and what a wonderful, and he did this to me. And I'm out here now, and he's in there. And he looks out and he says, you know, I'm kind of thirsty. Let me go get a drink of water. And then he stops a minute and says, wait a minute, I'm thirsty. What do I really thirst for? Uh, Caleb, go to the next frame here because I want to show people here this whole thing of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but uh, this is basically something you learn in education and probably psychology and psychiatry to say these are the levels of humanity you need to deal with if you're going to really accomplish things in people's lives or in yourself. 
The first is a physiological level. In other words, you have to have air, you have to have food, you have to have water before you ever go up this ladder of stuff. And then, of course, once you get your basic physiological needs met, then you go up and you need to feel safe. And if you feel nourished and if you feel safe, then you can go up to love and belonging. And then if you get those things, then you can go up to accomplishment and esteem. And Maslow said, and the greatest level of all is self-actualization, achieving your potential. Now, all that's arguable. I get it. But I was with a disciple one day in a morning meeting. I, I like to meet with discipleship groups at 6 a.m. if I can. And I was with one of these guys, and you know what he says? The basest thing. We were looking at Psalm 63. I said, what do you see here? What's the Lord highlighting for you? He says, I'm going to tell you what it is, Mr. Matt. He says, what I see in Psalm 63 is simply this. The basest level of all that I am is Yahweh, is God, it's Jesus. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that's even more basic than my physiological needs. I thought, that's brilliant. We talked about Maslow's hierarchy, but he says, the basest need I have is him. And I thought to myself, whoa, and I wrote it down in my Bible, and I've never forgotten it. David's thinking right now, I am thirsty. That is a deep physiological need. I can't go all of today without drinking. But in that moment, he stops and says, but what am I really thirsty for? I'm really thirsty. I really long for. I really desire God. That's what I have to have in order for me to be anything that I want to be that he needs for me to be. That's what I need more than anything. And so we, we looked over this Maslow's hierarchy, and I'm thinking, you know what happened in this moment? Once David said, my most basic human need is God, he sings about it. I actually think he probably sang about it. By the way, I, I'm not a great singer, and I tell you, I'm a lousy poet. But I don't think it's a bad idea to go down the road and start singing things about blossoms and about bright colors. Amen. Hey, you're in the car alone. No one's listening. You can hear Rush. He can't hear you. So just go ahead and, you know, sing. Sing out. Sing out. And I don't know what it would have sounded like, but maybe something like this. Oh, God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. I don't know. Can't sing. That's not very good. But that's not bad poetry. It's Hebrew poetry. And it goes right to the marrow of our bones. Lord, I want to thirst for you. I want to long for you. I want to see you in your sanctuary. I want to see your power and glory. I am in a dry and weary land, but my lips will praise you in this land. I will bless you. I will lift up my hands. My mouth offers praise. I'll remember you. I'll meditate on you. I will cling to you. Why? Look at verse 3. Because your loving kindness, your unfailing love, your hesed love, that Hebrew word hesed, your hesed, it's better than life. I'd rather have you than have water. I'd rather have you than have life. My lips, therefore, will praise you. Now, note the verbs. Everyone do a good Bible study. Sometimes just go for verbs. And I start circling them here. Look at this. Feel the passion. A passion is basically a strong and barely controllable emotion. And that's what David is here. He says, I'm thirsty, but I've got to tell you right now, I've got emotion. It's not emotion of hatred. It's emotion of love. It's not an emotion of disappointment, not primarily. I'm disappointed in my son Absalom. 
I'm disappointed what's happening to me right now in the wilderness. I'm disappointed that I'm not in Jerusalem with the Ark of the Covenant. I'm disappointed, but far more than disappointment. I seek you. I thirst for you. I yearn for you. Just look at the verbs. I see, I praise, I bless, lift up my hands, I meditate, and I cling to you. I cling to you, Lord. By the way, that word actually in the Hebrew is cleave. I cleave to you, Lord. And a couple of instances of there, you remember that goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. Leave and cleave. You ought to cleave like this with your spouse. You ought to be so together, no man can tear it asunder. That's how together you ought to be. Furthermore, you ought to have that kind of relationship with God. It also has that verse in the Old Testament. Lord, I want to cleave to you. Oh, let me cling to you. Let me cleave to you, oh God. I was just thinking, if you, if you notice here where that cling word is, is verse 8. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. I was thinking about that. I just, this was brought to my mind as I was down here praising with you all just a moment ago. It says, my soul cleaves, my soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. And I was thinking about a picture. It's a grainy picture, black and white. It, it, it doesn't look like much. Unless you're me, it looks like everything. Because this beautiful, beautiful picture, grainy, black and white, has my mom with her right hand underneath me, upholding me as I cleave to her. Can you picture it? Do you have a picture like that? Do you have a memory like that of you in your father's arms, you in your mother's arms? She's holding you by their right hand, by their left hand. They're holding you, and you're just holding on for dear life because your mama is your life. Your daddy is your life. It's the word picture that came to me, and I thought to myself, boy, I bet God wants exactly that kind of relationship with Matt Friedemann. Where I cling to him, I cleave to him as his right hand up holds me. May it be Lord Jesus. Now, how much should we have this kind of attitude towards him? Uh, they, they tell the story about Socrates and Plato. I'm sure it didn't happen, maybe at all. Probably didn't happen like this, but it's a story, and I like the story. Socrates was Plato's teacher, and they're walking along the beach, and uh, Socrates says, uh, disciple, let's go down to the water. Say, so go down into the water. And he says, uh, is this about far enough? He says, no, let's go deeper. And they go deep to about waist deep. He says, is this far enough? No, let's go deeper. And they go to where it's about, about chest high. And Socrates says, okay, we're going to do a little uh, experiment here. You ready? Plato said, yeah, sure. So Socrates places his hands on top of Plato's head. And he plunges him down to the water. Now, Plato's cool with this. Socrates is the man. He's brilliant. He knows what he's doing. So Plato goes down, but he wasn't really ready for it, so he didn't get a lot of air going down. So he's down there, and if you know, if you're not really ready for something, but it's Socrates. You can hang on. Ten seconds go by. He's saying, I wonder if he's baptizing me. Is this some kind of intellectual baptism? He's down in the water. And uh, it's okay for ten seconds, but then it grows into 20 seconds, and he didn't get enough air going down, so he's starting to kind of think, uh, boy, I, I think this experiment's about over. Don't you, Socrates? He's thinking the thought because he can't say it. And Socrates has his firm hands on his head. And then he feels those hands move down to his shoulders. He thinks, okay, now he's letting me come up. He doesn't. He pushes down a little further. 
And Plato's thinking, I think my master's gone crazy because now he's down in the water for 40 seconds and he is out of patience. And he starts wriggling a little bit. And Socrates knows he was going to wriggle, so he holds him down even more. And it goes to 45 seconds, and then 50, then 55, and finally, at 60 seconds or so, Plato is losing it. Plato is angry. Plato is in basically a panic. And Plato comes up out of the water. Socrates lets him come out, and he's heaving great amounts of air. And he is as mad as he can be, and he says, Master, Socrates, why did you hold me under the water? And Socrates says, well, let's walk back to shore, I'll tell you. So it allows Plato to cool down a little bit, and Socrates says, when you desire knowledge, Plato, like you desired that breath of air, then you shall have it. More than the physiological needs. When you want God as much as you want that breath of air, then you're going to get it. Now, this is what I believe. A lot of us come down to an altar and say, God, I want it. We know we have spiritual adipsia. Some of us today know it. We recognize it. We feel it. Actually, we don't feel it. That's the point. I don't feel a thirst. I don't feel a longing. I don't feel like I want to cleave. I don't feel like I want to love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I want to hedge my bets. I want some of it my way. Sure, I'll let him have some of it his way. But the truth is, that is spiritual adipsia. And he says to you today, he says to you today, I want you to know what it is you're suffering from. And I want you to be able to come to me and insist insist that it's going to be different. Remember that story in Scripture where the woman comes and she wants something from the judge and so she knocks on the door. Then she leaves and never comes back, right? Oh, no. She keeps knocking. Now, by the way, anybody here tired of those robocalls? You know, I don't even answer the phone anymore. Even my cell phone, I think, if, if, if your name ain't up there, I'm not answering I don't even want to know. But you know what this is like? It's like saying, okay, uh, I ignore the robocall, but that robocall keeps calling back and keep calling back and keep calling back. That's what this is like. It keeps saying, hey, hey, I want your attention. Pay me attention. Listen, if you call the Freedom House, it ain't getting answered. Not until I know who's there. I'm tired of getting up and answering your robocall. I know it's not yours, but I'm tired of robocalls. You need to call back. And some of you are kind of irritatingly insistent. You know who you are. <laughs> You're saying, that didn't work. Let me call right back and irritate Matt, who's right now in his chair feeling pretty good, feeling like, okay, we just got rid of a robocall. But you're saying to yourself, I ain't no robocall. He's going to answer me. And you call back, and I don't answer. And you call back. And about four rings later, Friedemann, <laughs> I don't answer Matt. Matt, Friedemann, how can we help you? I just say, Friedemann. I want to know what you want. And then you say who you are, and I think, oh, then I lighten up. Oh, yeah. Good to hear from you. The truth is, that's what this is all about. I got a dipsia. I don't feel a longing for God. I'm going to come down to this altar, and I'm going to knock. And it's not enough to knock once and go back to your chair and never come back again. You've got to keep knocking. You've got to keep wanting it. You've got to keep saying, Lord, 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 I don't long for you. I don't thirst for you. I know I need to lest I 
die. I don't want to die. I want you. You're the basest thing I know. You're the highest thing I know. You're everything I need to know. God, I want to seek you. I want to thirst for you. I want to yearn for you, see you, praise you, bless you, lift up hands, remember, meditate. I want to cling. I want to cleave to you, oh Lord. And I'm not going to quit knocking until you make me want to long for you that way. I'm not going to quit knocking until I thirst for you that way. I'm going to tell you, if you want them as much as you want air, it's going to happen. You are going, and I'm going to tell you, I get the problem. Some of you don't feel that way today. Some of you don't feel like you long, some of you don't want to love him. You just don't want to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But you know, I'm supposed to, I need to. If I'm going to be God's man, if I'm going to be his woman, I've got to. Therefore, I come, and I'm insistent with him. And I'm going to keep knocking until it happens. Now, I've already talked about this, but let me just say one more time. Those last few verses, 9 through the bottom of the chapter. In the lectionary, in these lectionary passages, churches all over the world say, we would like, pretty much along usually a theme, have five verses that say something about something. And they... And we, th we throw them out to you every week. Today, some of you will get these uh, by email. And they're in the program right now. I, I believe they're all over there, aren't they, on, on, the, on the far uh, right side? They're right there, says Jason. So right there they are. You need to look at those this week. I will probably preach on one of them next week. So we do this kind of thing. Lectionary passages are what they're called. It's interesting to me that the guys that said these are the lectionary passages out of Psalm 63 stop at verse 8. That's all. We're just going down to verse 8, not going any further. And one of the guys I'm in discipleship with this week said, it really ticks me off when you only got to read two or three more scriptures and you'll be done with the whole psalm. Why stop with just part of the psalm? I think it's a great question. Because I'm thinking... The last few verses there tell you about why he's crying out to God. But David has a different approach than most of us. If we have enemies, what we say is God smite them dead, and we shout out to God to meet our needs. And what David does instead is most of the psalm is him saying, I want to reach out to you with desire and with thirst and with longing and with clinging. I will bless you. I will lift up my life to you. Is that how David operates? He says, and I think the Lord says to us today, and that's how I need for you to operate. Because some of us in the presence of enemies want to go to the imprecatory Psalms and say, God smite, smite them dead. I want you to make the enemy bleed. I want you to make the enemy die. I want you to make the enemy but Jesus comes along later and says something that David didn't know about. You, you believe that the New Testament builds on the Old Testament, right? It doesn't say we're wiping it out. It says we're building on it. And the way Jesus builds on the Old Testament is saying this. We want the enemies not to be dead. We want them to have life. And what I want for you, my believers, I want you to love your enemies. That was a radical teaching. Excuse me. Uh, got a trick here, Lord. Can you say that again on this side? Uh, yeah, Matt, I want you to love your enemies. Jesus, you're not from around here, are you? you? You would know if you're from around here that our enemies 
have their jack boot on our necks right now. And you're telling us we need to love Rome? You're telling us we need to love the Pharisees? You're telling us we need to love those who want us dead? And Jesus says, well, I am from around here. I was born here just like you. The fact of the matter is, they not only want me dead, but they actually killed me. And I want you to love your enemies. That's radical teaching, folks. And the only way you can do that are the first eight verses. The only way you can not only know you have enemies, but to win them over to the cause of Christ, but to win them by your love, the only way that can happen is with the first eight verses. And the first eight verses, if you just look at the verbs, you'll see seek and thirst and yearn and see and praise and bless and lift up hands and remember and meditate and from my understanding today, most of all, to cling, to cleave to God. Some of you know the name John Perkins. John has for years had a ministry in Jackson called Voice of Calvary. Uh, he has long lived in the inner city and done tremendous things. Uh, he's a distant friend of ours. He loves it when the Day Spring Youth Group uh, comes by in the summer and works at the John Perkins Foundation. Uh, we will frequently, with our, uh, with our team of youth, go out in mission. They will frequently go by John Perkins and say, anything you need done, and we'll help him out with stuff. And for some crazy reason, he, uh, he credits our church big time for that, and he credits me big time for that. And I'm not to be credited. I don't do anything. Uh, along those lines. But the fact of the matter is John loves it. And so he from time to time will call me up or uh, I'll go by there and he'll open up his house to me. And sometimes I take students by his home. He's written 20 or 30 books. Great man. He's an African-American. And in his last book, he wrote this. He says, living and moving around in the deep south, I grew up around poor whites. He says, every one of the poor whites in my community thought they were better than us, better than blacks. And those poor white folks expected us to move out of their way every time they came, and that wasn't all that they wanted them to do. And if somehow you didn't do that, you might end up dead. John Perkins says, I grew up hating poor white people. I hated them. They were the oppressors. He says, over the years, Christ changed me. Over the years, he changed my life. In fact, they asked him, if there's one thing you could change in your life, what would it be? He says, that's easy. If I had the chance to do it all over again, I would help. I'd do much more to help poor white people. He says, he transformed my life. He said, one of the things we used to do is go to a church. And in this church, what we'd notice is... Uh, they, they love to help people with, with food and with clothes. I go there and visit this church, but what I really like to do is go out into my car and watch people go into the church just to see about what would happen when they went in this church. And what I noticed was you could see the shame all over the poor white people that felt like I have need here and I need this church to give me a handout. There was just shame all over their lives. In fact, the shame was no greater than for the poor white man and frequently he'd come, 
knowing that he had need, not wanting to have need, but knowing he had it. And what he would do is instead of going in himself, he would sit in his truck and he'd send his wife in. You could just see the shame all over his countenance, the shame in his body language. He hated this. John Perkins says, it's interesting to me in these latter years of my life, when I speak, the people who have the greatest spark in their eyes are poor white people. When I talk about reconciliation, they're the ones with the countenances that are lifted up to the Lord. They are the ones that want to do life differently. Yeah, if there's one thing I know I would change in my life if I had the chance to do it all over again, I would do more to help my former enemies. Jesus wants you to know you've got enemies. Or you have an enemy situation that will come at you even this week. Or you have an enemy culture. Surely you know that. And these enemies, <laughs> these enemies are not to be killed. These enemies are to be loved. Jesus builds on the Old Testament, builds on David's Psalms, and comes back and says, listen, we're building on those Psalms by saying we will love our enemies. And folks, the only way that is going to happen is with the first eight verses. The only way that's going to happen is to thirst for God, to long for Him, to bless Him, to cling to Him. That's the only answer to the enemies. And you all, can I say it again, will have enemy dynamics even this week in your life. And with those enemy dynamics, you need to say, hey, I don't strike out against them in hatred or with anger. I love them. And guess what? Black people, we can love white people. White people, we can love black people. Black and white people, Hispanics need to be loved. And Hispanics, you need to love black and white people. And here we go. Democrats, you've got to love Republicans. Amen. I know it's impossible. Can you do it anyway? Republicans, you've got to, because there's nothing more annoying than a Republican in power. Oh, my goodness. But Republicans, you need to love Democrats. I know. You think you have every reason not to, but Jesus says, yeah, do it anyway. And he says, listen, he says, listen, I've got all kinds of situations waiting for you out there in the enemy world, enemy situations, enemy dynamics, and you can move out in that world with confidence if you love me, if you love me, if you long for me, if you thirst for me. And some of you today, you have this terrible thing called, I don't hunger. I don't thirst. I don't, I have this anorexia thing, this adipsia thing. I've got problems. Well, you need to pray about those problems. You need to pray today about those problems. Amen. Jesus wants you to be healed of adipsia. He wants you to be healed of anorexia. He wants you to be healed of the spiritual dynamics of your life that keeps you from loving your enemies. All heads go down. I just want to know. Any hand would grow up to say, I've got adipsia. I don't thirst. I want to thirst. I know I need to thirst, but I don't right now. Hand go up. Just say, come on, make yourself vulnerable. Don't do it unless you feel it. But G right now, keep them up, keep them up, keep them up. Jesus, right now, by faith, these people have put up their hands. Give them the grace of knocking. And not knocking once, not knocking one day, not knocking for one hour. But day after day, to say, God, I want to be healed of adipsia.
I want you to supernaturally touch me where I no longer don't want to eat, don't want to drink, where I don't want to long for you. When there's something holding me back from loving you with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, and all my strength, I want to be an all-Christian. I don't feel like I want to be today, but Jesus, could you give me the want to? Could you give me that I have to have all of God and all of God in me? I have to have a whole, complete, perfect love for you, Lord Jesus. Anybody here ready to pray that? All you people with your hands up right now say, I want it. No, no, no. I really want it. Say, I really want it, Lord. And I'm going to come at you and complain about it until I get it. In Jesus' strong and holy name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you, Dayspring. Thank you very much.